Good afternoon. I hope everyone is having a fantastic Monday. I've been pretty much chilling and relaxing. Um, didn't really do much today. I did a little uh, cleaning of the, the apartment. Uh, got in a workout. And just been, you know, keeping it low-key. Listening to some JD from NY206 uh, before I recorded this. Now, this is the second time I've recorded it because the first one I had, I had the whole thing all set up, good to go. I loaded up the music for it and, you know, let it load, checked on something else, was reading an article, come back, and it pretty much was gone. So, this is the second take of the opening segment, and I'm going to try to do this again, and I'm going to keep it a little bit shorter. I'm just going to keep it focused on Lars Sullivan. Um, so let's go over the article that What Culture had put out. Um, I'm not sure when they came out with. They don't really have a date or a name to actually write it, but let's go over it real quick. This past week, the Wrestling Observer reported that the latest call-up from NXT, Lars Sullivan, was scheduled to compete in a match on Monday's Raw from Orlando. Apparently, Sullivan either did not turn up to the building or left before his bout, with the reason being given as an anxiety attack. After working through his issues with WWE management, Sullivan's dark match was instead rescheduled for Tuesday's SmackDown from Jacksonville, Florida. Unfortunately, he again missed the show and was said to have flown back to his home in Colorado. Prior to this week's double no-show, Sullivan had been slated for a WrestleMania 35 match opposite John Cena. Those plans are now believed to be under reconsideration. Adding some intrigue to the story, WrestleVotes noted that Sullivan was in neither Orlando nor Jacksonville this past week and had not flown home to Colorado. Instead, their sources suggested he failed to turn up completely. If Sullivan is suffering from legitimate mental health problems, then that's something his employers need to treat with the correct degree of understanding and compassion. Punishment booking is not the answer, though obviously WWE reserves the right to alter plans in accordance with the talent they have available. And that was from WokeCulture.com, and I'm going to give my take on it again for the second time. And this is how I honestly feel about the situation. It definitely puts a damper on things. For what they were trying to do with Lars. Especially now this is your your first true big feud. Was going to be against John Cena. And that was going to lead to. A WrestleMania 35 match with him. Uh, More than like. I mean it's a possibility that they would actually put Sullivan over. uh, Have him beat one of the uh, biggest names in WWE. Right now and pretty much in history. And then have him go on to bigger and better things, whether it be a, uh, depending on what brand he's on, a Universal Championship title shot or a WWE Championship shot somewhere down the line later on in the year. The perception, the gimmick pretty much of Lars Sullivan is that he's the freak. He's a mountain of a man. Uh, I'd say he's in like the 270 range, 6'5", big dude, can pretty much literally throw you around the ring with his eyes closed. Not an issue. Excuse me. But the anxiety issue is a big fucking deal. It really is. Excuse me. Considering, you know, all, you know, I don't know. I don't, I can't read Lars Sullivan's mind. Neither can you and nor anyone else. And it is a really rough situation now that we're in. Because... 
who know? I mean, they were supposed to have his dark matches to get him acclimated to the W uh, to the main roster deal. Let the fans see him, you know, get used to Lars Sullivan before he makes his way up and begins his main roster uh, debuts, whether it be on Raw or SmackDown. But the whole, but now having this, now him having an anxiety attack now is forced to have WWE officials reconsider what they were going to do with him. Um, me personally, I don't, and like they said in the article, punishment booking is not the answer. Um, I think what they should do is push his debut back just a little bit, uh, just to make sure he is in the right state of mind before they begin their push. I mean, WrestleMania is literally still three months, less than three months away. So there is time to get every, get him together get him in the right state of mind that he needs to be in. It it, it may may have been too much in the moment. Who knows what could have happened? I mean, yes, there's conflicting reports stating, you know, whether he showed up, uh, I mean, or was he on raw? He had the anxiety attack and then was supposed to show up in Jacksonville and immediately flew home to Colorado, took his ball and went home. Who knows what the actual reports are, but now, now what is the perception going to be for Lars? Because now you got to think, you know, as of, I'm a big fan of Lars Sullivan. I've been a big fan ever since he made his debut in NXT, been running through everybody, his match that he had at TakeOver New Orleans in the six-way, and the six-pack um, ladder match for the North American Championship. That was fucking awesome. He had a great performance in that match. And I knew he was going to be a big fucking deal upon his arrival to the main roster. So now seeing this situation, it kind of stinks a little bit because I do like him. I do like what he brings to the table. He's a big man. I figured, you know, he was going to be a big deal if they put him over on SmackDown because they don't have a big man, a really true big man on the brand to actually have a, a thing with, you know, because you think now you put him on on a, on a SmackDown, you can think Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles, um, you know, Samoa Joe and all that. We had, and a lot of people, and me personally, I had booked Lars to join the, the SmackDown brand, go after Shinsuke Nakamura and take the United States Championship, have a dominant run with it, take that ball and run with it, be a big fucking deal, go through WrestleMania, defend that championship, you know, have a dominant performance at WrestleMania, make him even more of a big deal. And to whoever would beat him for the United States Championship, his, his uh, status would get elevated because of the dominant run he had with the belt. Then you can have him have a couple feuds, big, uh, a big a couple high-profile feuds, have him rise up the ladder, and then gun for a WWE Championship run. Maybe have him win the Royal Rumble in 2020, him winning at 30, uh, and then becoming the uh, WWE Champion at WrestleMania 36, wherever that may be. And that was kind of the idea I had. That was kind of the idea I pitched. And now... Seeing as that he was, they were going to have him face John Cena, I was thinking in my head, you know, of course, WWE has that kind of that mindset like, yeah, you can put him with John Cena, but we don't know if Cena, if they would have Cena put over Sullivan or would, or they would just have status quo bullshit and then have Cena over, go over on Sullivan. Now that we have the situation with the anxiety attack and everything that's going on, Perception not believes he's supposed to be this freak guy, but he has anxiety. It could hurt him in the long. It could hurt him in the. It will hurt him in the short term. In terms of long term, I don't know what they're gonna do. 
Are they still going to give him the match with Cena for thir- WrestleMania 35? Are they just going to just cut that and just go with someone else to face Cena at, 30, at WrestleMania 35 in April? Who knows? It's one of those now situations where it's just like you really have to be very careful with how they with, they have to be very careful with how they go about this. Because now everything gets everything is just stopped. Everything is now at a standstill with with the Lars Sullivan situation. Like I said, I can't read Lars Sullivan's mind. I don't know. I'm I'm not an official. I'm not. I'm just a guy who does a podcast and just sees the you know reads the news and gives my opinion on it. It is is it is a concern. It's a really big concern and. I kind of equate it to this. I do retail, right? I've been working at my particular job for almost three years now. And with a new crop of guy, of guys and girls who come into my job and work in my department, um, the first little legitimate question I always ask them legitimately out of the gate as we're having conversation, I'm showing them around the department. And this is what we have here. My first question, mostly, do you have social anxiety? Their answer will literally almost tell me everything I need to know at that moment in terms of, you know, how will they work with people? Because if if you work in retail, you know, every single day is different, especially during certain parts of the year where you have big sales, you have, and then, you know, certain things can happen and break down. This person may not, we may have, you say we may have a particular item for a customer and then we don't, and then they get pissed. How are you going to handle that? Luckily for me, I've had not had one person tell me, yes, I do. Because in my mind, I mean, I don't have anxiety. You know, I get pissed off a lot <laughs> because of stupid shit, of, of true stupidity. But I don't have that anxiety. At least, at least I hope I don't. Because I don't want to have that breakdown moment where I just break down and just go ape shit on any and everybody at a moment's notice. I don't want to have that with that. I hope I don't have that. But it is an issue, especially, you know, for something that's as, as, as big as this, you know, especially as big a, as big a moment as he's, as Sullivan is going to have. If you have anxiety over, and, and who knows what could have triggered it, who knows what could have triggered it. Maybe it was the moment. Maybe it was him coming into that main stage. We don't know. What could have triggered it? We don't know. We may never know. WWE may never give us that statement. Lars may never say anything about it. Who knows? At this point, all we can do is just simply speculate. But now that we now know that him and Cena were slated, were more than likely slated to face each other at WrestleMania 35, it could have just been a, a problem. You know, could have just been a problem of the moment. It could have just been that part of the moment. Thinking, you know, all of this is com- all this is going to be put upon me. I'm going to have a big push. They believe in, you know, they have this push for me. They see big things for me in my future. You know, I'm getting the spot with Cena at 35 in New in New York, in New Jersey, in my home state, in my home state personally, not his. He's from Colorado, but you know, I'm getting that big deal, and maybe it was too much. Who knows? That's one thought of it. Now with Sullivan, it's a true wait and see process. It really, it's now a wait and see process. We now have to wait on 
you know, is WWE still going to give Sullivan the push? Is WWE maybe reconsidering their options and maybe putting someone else into that match with Cena instead of Sullivan? We don't know, and we just have to wait on it. I want, I mean, I'm a, like I said, I'm a big fan of Lars Sullivan. I really am. I like what he brings to the table. Him on Raw wouldn't make sense. Him on SmackDown would just be absolutely perfect because you can do so much with Lars, with guys like Orton, Ray Mysterio, AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan. If they decide to put in Aleister Black, you can go back to that rematch where Black destroyed it and broke his jaw. You know, there's so many avenues you can go with Lars. And now we have to wait. And I hope, I do hope that he can get himself right. And I know WWE will be there for him every step of the way. Um, I want to. I would. I would. I hope that they do right by Sullivan, get him in the right state of mind, make sure he's a hundred percent ready, make sure his every everything about him, mind, body, and soul, is ready to go. Because if if they are still going to give him this match with Cena, WWE officials want to make sure he's ready to go. I want to make sure he's ready to go as a fan of his. We just have to wait. We just have to wait and see what's going to happen. That's all we can do at this point. It's unfortunate. It's an unfortunate situation with Sullivan because this this came out. This literally came out of nowhere over the weekend. It came out of nowhere a lot. Of, I was I was shocked. I was like, wait a minute, what is this? And then I've written. I listened to the Cultaholic talk about it and all and all of this. And it's it's now going to be an interesting situation to see what they do going forward. Who knows? Who maybe, maybe maybe it's all nonsense. Maybe it's just, you know, maybe they had something for him or they just didn't. I mean, like I said, there's con- there's so many conflicting reports from everything. Who knows what could happen? Who knows what the actual situation is? We may like I said, we may never know what the situation is. We may never know. We really may never find out what the deal is for that. So Anything, anything could be popping in the air. One other thing I, I actually was listening to before I actually was recorded the first time I recorded was uh, I was listening to JD from NY206. And he was talking about the uh, reports that came out talking about Becky Lynch not being a big draw in WWE. Which, me personally, I believe is complete and utter bullshit. Becky Lynch has been the biggest fucking deal since, I'd say, like, July. Late, you know, mid to late July of of last year. It really, it really pissed me off to hear that. And and what he was talking about in the in the report was that it, they're they're kind of they were basing it off merchandise sales. So we're basing superstars in the WWE main roster not being a big draw because of merch sales. That to me personally uh, is insane. Because if you're if you're honestly stating that Becky Lynch is not a big draw, 
then you're saying, then you can honestly say Brock Lesnar's not a big draw. The fucker doesn't even show up. He gets what? 20-something dates a year, and he gets paid $7 million to do who knows what. To do whatever. Shows up, gets his check, goes home, back to Canada, fucks Sable, and whatever. Seth Rollins, not a big draw. You know. SmackDown and Raw aren't really moving the needle in terms of their ratings. I mean, sure, you know, Raw maybe had a jump in the ratings because I guess it was the first one of the new year or whatever, but still, there's still backlash on Twitter. When I live, I don't even, like I said, I don't even live, I don't live tweet anymore for Raw because Raw is just that shit. Like, and it's not, and it's not in a good way. Raw is just trash. You know, there's not one superstar that I can gravitate towards to one that's really honestly moving the needle. Excuse me. The NXT superstars that are going to be coming up. Laura Sullivan. Heavy Machinery. Nikki Cross. Lacey Evans. EC3. Do you honestly think they're not moving? Do you honestly think for one second they're going to move the needle? I don't. I don't think they're going to make that much of an impact. Me personally, I think Lacey Evans isn't ready. Heavy Machinery. I don't think they're ready. EC3 is a possibility, but I still think he had a title run in him. And for the North American Championship. So I think they're bringing them up too early. Lars Sullivan and Nikki Cross were the only two out of that six that I honestly and truly felt were the only ones that honestly deserved to be called up to the main roster. I believe that all day, every day, twice on Sunday. And it's crazy to me now they're saying that you know that they're thinking that they're stating this. It's it's insanity to me. How do you honestly think Becky Lynch is not a big draw for the past what six months? I'd say she has been the biggest thing on Twitter, on television, pay per views. She is in two of my top ten matches of the year for twenty eighteen. The match we were supposed to have with her and Ronda Rousey at Survivor Series got cut only because of Nia Jax, and that made her even a bigger deal. So to say that Becky Lynch isn't a big draw is kind of crazy to me. I mean, but you got to think of all the other superstars that have had pushes in WWE, and immediately their pushes got stopped by the WWE because they didn't push them. WWE wasn't the ones who were behind that movement to push them. We want, we're want we going to push who we want to push. And if so-and-so is getting a push organically, we got to kill it. It's been documented time and time again. I'd say I think Ty Dillinger was one example. He was starting to get a major push. He was starting to get a bit of a push there. Fans were starting to get behind him. Ten chance all across the board. Anytime they were, you know, counting out, you know, wrestlers, uh, Fans would chant 10. What happened to Ty Dillinger? Stop the push. It's honestly crazy to me how 
that in and of itself should be a thing. If fans are gravitating towards a certain superstar, that is us saying, push this person. And especially now that Royal Rumble is about to go down in two weeks' time, and her facing Asuka for the SmackDown Live uh, Women's Championship, who knows what's going to happen now? What JD spoke about is, um, you know, maybe they if they leave her, they leave her out of the the Royal Rumble match. They get, they give Charlotte the win. A lot of people may give backlash to that because Charlotte won. Because and a lot of people and some people have said Charlotte Flair is the Roman Reigns of the women's division. That's one person's opinion. Uh, do I think, you know, her, them pushing Charlotte more so has been a political move? I believe so, because their agenda has been leading towards Charlotte for the past couple of years now. That's just my opinion on that. But Charlotte then hasn't really been moving the needle. She hasn't really, I mean, when she comes out, you know, she hasn't really been getting the ratings. Now one person in WWE, maybe besides Becky Lynch, has been moving the needle in terms of you know, social media stuff, you know, reports of, of, of Becky Lynch saying something on Twitter to Corey Graves, her shit, her owning Corey. That was crazy. The, the back and forth she's had with, uh, who she calls Ronnie, Ronda Rousey. That's been reported all this stuff. She has been the one name that has literally been in everybody's fucking mouth for the last six months. And to say she's not a big fucking draw, it's quite disappointing and a big pain in my ass. I have a better idea. How about if you if, if Becky Lynch, if the fans think Becky Lynch is a big deal, treat her as a big fucking deal. They had one job. If the main event at WrestleMania is Charlotte, Ronda, and Becky, and you unify the championships, I can be fine with that. Because then we get a unification of the belts, and then the entire women's division comes as one, if that's going to be the case. As JD had clearly stated as well. You know. If they just give Becky back the belt and leave her out of the match, yeah, there's going to be some backlash because now, because then now everyone's going to believe that Charlotte's going to win the Rumble, and the and perception will be, oh my God, they're going to do Ronda Charlotte. Instead of Becky Ronda, which would have been the biggest hype main event you can do. In terms of the uh, women's main event, if they do the women's main event, again, it's a wait and see process. I, I do hope that, I mean, I mean, maybe, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what WWE wants to do with this because Becky Ronda is the one thing I, I still want to see because we haven't seen it yet. And it should be taken care of. We should have that on lockdown. That should have been written in permanent marker right after Survivor Series had finished. Vince McMahon should have easily thought, okay, yeah, I need to get Becky Ronda. This needs to happen. At a, that's, rest, that's WrestleMania main event. That's your main event. The hype surrounding that, the calls for that should have been, boom, right there. I need to make this happen. I had booked I had booked it the same way. You have Ronda versus Becky for the Raw Women's Championship. You have Charlotte versus Asuka 3 for the SmackDown Live Women's Championship. You have Asuka beat Charlotte in a redemption as redemption for her beating Charlotte. 
and you have Becky beat Ronda for the Raw Women's Championship in the biggest hype in the in the women's main event, the biggest main event you could probably have for WrestleMania 35. You have two marquee women's matchups. Everyone's fucking happy. Now we don't know. Becky Lynch, not a big draw. Jesus Christ. But I'm gonna finish up this opening segment by talking about, and I, and I just saw this as I was talking about it. This actually came out yesterday. 205 Live, officially moving back to Tuesday night. Why? <laughs> this was actually uh, written by Eric Ames from TheChairShot.com. And uh, let's go, I just want to briefly talk about this. It's been a number of months since the WWE Network's Tuesday lineup was changed. And as 205 Live was moved to Wednesday nights before NXT, with the sexual annual May Young Classic taking the purple, brand, purple brand's all-time slot. Some people may have noticed next week's WWE Network schedule had 205 Live back on Tuesday at 10 p.m. And today, WWE has confirmed the move with a replay airing in a 7 p.m. Wednesday spot. Beginning this Tuesday, January 15th, WWE 205 Live returns to its original day and time, Tuesday nights at 10, 9 central, streaming live on the award-winning WWE Network. This week, the most exciting hour on television features a non-title open challenge from WWE Cruiserweight Champion Buddy Murphy as he prepares to defend his championship in a fatal four-way match at the Royal Rumble on Sunday, January 27th. Murphy is hungry to face the best Cruiserweight competitors in the world and has called for anyone who meets a 205-pound weight limit to answer his challenge. Two, don't miss for the return of WWE 205 Live at Tuesday, blah, 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 yada, 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 yada. What the fuck? Why? Why? I like 205 Live on the, on the 7 p.m. spot. You're just going to do a re, you're gonna do a replay anyway. So just leave it in the spot. I usually, during the Mae Young Classic, I enjoyed the fact that they had 205 Live in the 7 p.m. spot. And I, you know, sometimes I would come home from work around 5 or 6. I'd get home. I'd eat. I'd watch that. Then I'd watch NXT. And then I can watch NXT UK from 9 to 11. And my day was complete. And it was a beautiful thing. So if it ain't broke, and especially especially for fans who don't normally see 205 Live in the Cruiserweight division, now fans may not even want to watch 205 Live. And 205 Live, when it was back in its original, before it went to uh, Wednesdays, not many fans really went out of their way to turn on the WWE Network and watch it. At least... On the Wednesday slot before NXT, you could watch the 205 Live. Now, pretty much, I I don't, I'm more than likely not going to be watching 205 Live on Tuesday. I'm just going to be going to sleep because I got work in the morning. And then, you know, I'll just catch it Wednesday. So, why just, I don't know. It was, it, it's it's stupid. I think it's a bad move. I think, honestly, you should have just left it in a, in a 7 p.m. slot and just let it do their thing before NXT. Because I'm going to watch NXT anyway. So why not watch a little bit of 205? If you're just going to do the replay anyway, just leave it where it is. Figured I'd throw that in there real quick. But that is enough of that. Let's get into the actual fun portion of the program. This is episode 42 of the Young Lions Perspective. And with that being said, let us begin. What's going on, guys? Zach from the Wrestling With Issues Podcast here, and welcome to episode 42 of the Young Lions Perspective. I want to thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day, your night, your afternoon, your evening, 
wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the podcast. And as always, I greatly and truly appreciate it. And today, we finally talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. That was NXT TakeOver Blackpool that went down this Saturday, past Saturday afternoon. Oh my fucking God, what a, for a first impression of a TakeOver in the UK, holy shit. I, I I just enjoyed every bit of it. I loved it. I loved the presentation. I loved how they really emphasized this was their this is the biggest moment of their of, of the brand's existence up to that point. I, I I enjoyed it every bit of it. I mean, um even before the event went down, we found out the news that NXT UK now has their own performance center. This is uh, from Chairshot on their play-by-play. The first international PC will give a place for everyone on the NXT UK roster to hone their craft, both in the ring and outside of it. Charlotte Flair and Finn Balor were NXT alumni that came over to help celebrate the moment. British Strong Style all felt proud of where their division is going. Are you ready? I Oh, my God. I, I'm so happy for... I'm so happy for them. Because ever since we, since this journey began, that NXT UK finally gets their own brand. They have their own thing. Oh, one second, I'm gonna take a sip of Gatorade. Mm. They have their own brand. They have their own place in the uh, WWE umbrella. It's awesome. It is. A, it was an awesome moment. Um, I got home a couple hours late. I did not check my social media worth a damn. Because I knew if I checked my social media before this shit went down, I would have caught spoiler after spoiler and I would have been pissed off and throwing air punches or at least throwing punches at my pillow or something or someone. And I didn't want to do that. So, like I did last time with Wrestle Kingdom 13, I've, and you guys responded to it very well. Uh, and I greatly appreciate that so much. Thank you so much for checking out that episode. Uh, that really got some numbers going and you guys seem to gravitate towards it. So, if it ain't broke... Let's not fix this shit. So, let's start with the good of NXT TakeOver, NXT UK TakeOver Blackpool. The good. Let's get this out of the way. Finn Balor was at fucking, he was there. Holy shit. I don't think anyone in the world was honestly expecting Finn Balor to show up. Did you? Because if you did, you're a fucking genius and you should really play some lottery and then give me the proceeds. Give me like 10% of that. Just putting it out there. But Finn Balor actually being at the first ever UK TakeOver was fucking awesome. Um, I will get... Now, the bad part, I will get into that uh, a little later on. But Finn Balor versus Jordan Jordan Devlin was that student versus teacher match. And I didn't even know Finn Balor was actually, actually taught Jordan Devlin wrestling, which is pretty fucking cool, which is why I love details of matches. Nigel McGinnis killed it. Vic Joseph, well done, sir. That's also a good. Joseph and McGinnis together, beautiful. Like peanut, like like, pe- like uh, tuna fish and meatball. I may have, I may have gotten that wrong. And if I did, I'm gonna really smack myself because I really love that fucking movie. But y'all know what I'm talking about. If you if you catch that reference, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but that uh, that alone, Finn Balor was worth the price of admission. It re- the the crowd was not ready for it. Um, because of, because of uh. 
I don't, I don't want to get into it, so I'm not going to get into the bad part. But uh, when Banks went after Devlin, um, of course, Banks hurting his knee uh, prior to. And then, you know, pretty much Devlin talking about, you know, since he, he's the best Irish wrestler. And then uh, Scala and Johnny Saint coming out. Excuse me, saying that, you know, they had they knew they had a feeling this was going to happen. And they had a proper backup plan. And then Finn Balor came out. The crowd in Blackpool went completely ape shit. What a fucking moment for that. And then the match itself between Devlin and Balor was pretty darn good. I really enjoyed it. I don't know how you felt about uh, Devlin versus Balor. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's a good thing maybe they didn't get better that they didn't go with the demon paint. Because then I would have just been like a straight up overkill. Fans would have been completely lost their fucking minds. And yeah, we would have marked out for everything. Huge raging lady boners would have been going out for Demon Balor. I get it. But that is that is one hell of a good to start off this. Another good that I liked um, was Blackpool itself. For any person who's seen a progress wrestling show, an ICW show, an over-the-top show, I had never really watched over-the-top before, but from what I heard, it's pretty darn good wrestling. The British crowd, anytime, and, and, I lo- and this really goes back to when WWE makes their um, tour of Europe, and they do tape shows in the UK, and the British crowd just goes completely ape shit. I thoroughly enjoyed every bit of that. From beginning to end, they were chanting, they were cheering, they were going crazy for every big spot, for um, just for everything, the energy they give to I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in the, in that in the Empress Ballroom because that that I I turned it up personally I went I turned my volume up and I just sat there in amazement that the crowd who was in my personal opinion was longing for a moment like this they really what I always say showed up and showed the fuck out for this entire event from beginning to end uh with with the tag team championship match they pretty they went crazy for the for the Gibson chance. Uh they went crazy for that. Just it was deafening from like I said, from beginning to end, it was so deafening. And I love that energy that England brings. Period. Hell, it could be a soccer match. They bring that energy. For wrestling fans in the UK, I and I stated this on Twitter. This is your moment. This basically this was their moment to show the world what NXT UK had to offer. And I know we don't see it on Raw as often. If you didn't, if you watched Raw for the past like four or so months, the crowds usually weren't into the show as much. Hands were, like, they pretty much like sat on their hands and didn't really give us some noise. Even if it was like a big moment in the match, they didn't really give us, you don't really get that reaction. But when the Brit, when the British fans see something big, they go mark, they go full mark out moment for that. And that made me so happy because I knew they were going to fucking bring it. And now, after seeing after seeing that, after seeing Blackpool, I mean, you, I mean, the the list is a bit long of where they could go, where the next takeover is going to be. Uh, Manchester, London, Edinburgh, um, you know, Dublin. You know, think of like, you know Liverpool if they want to go that route for Zach Gibson. Uh, they really can do some things and go to big places. I mean, hell, when Progress had Hello Wembley, I think they were in uh, London for that at the SSE Wembley, and that was their biggest show ever. And the crowd, from what I heard, went completely bonkers for that because it was a big deal. It was their biggest show in SSE in the SSE Wembley. Um, 
So to have the crowd be that, it enhanced the show and added a lot more to it. And that in and of itself is a big good for them. Um, another good uh, was, was the UK Tag Team Championship match between Mustache Mountain and the Grizzled Young Veterans. They fucking complete... The, the, them opening the show, I was I didn't know what match was going to open the show. I kind of had an idea that they were going to do the Dennis Mastiff match. Of course, Mayhem, Destruction, Kendo Sticks, Tables, Chairs, all that good shit. That could get the British crowd going. But to have Mustache Mountain and the Grizzled Young Veterans really, really, you know, put on a one hell of a show for the crowd was awesome. Like I said before with the Blackpool crowd, they were doing the Gibson chants. If you you know if you hate Gibson, shoes off. If you hate Gibson, stand up. They were really behind uh big when he did his uh double airplane spin, chanting big strong boy, uh all all that good shit. And it was just such and the match itself, and I think that crowd really elevated that match too, because they were just coming out with some crazy, crazy uh spots. Of course, like I said, the double the double uh, airplane spin. It was just it, it, the match itself was just really good, really, really fucking good. And then in the and uh, what was it? The spot where um, I think it was I'm trying to think if it, if it was a uh, bait that went through the ropes and Drake just straight kicked him while he was. I think it was a drop kick. He was in midair, just drop kicked him on the outside. That was fucking crazy. Just it was it was just so many good moments in that match. It was it was just oh it was just such a fun match to watch and in the end you had uh you know Gibson and Drake actually becoming the first you know the first ever tag team champions and I'm just looking over the card the, the double Shankly Gates where I believe uh Gibson had seven in the Shankly Gates Bate comes in Drake sees that him coming in locks him in the Shankly Gates and then Bate powers out of it picks uh, Drake up and slams Drake on top of Gibson. Just to break up the hold to make sure seven didn't cover, uh, didn't tap out. It was absolutely crazy. And I'm looking at it around. Uh, seven actually was the one who drove uh, dove to the outside and uh, caught a shotgun drop kick from um, James Drake. So I want to apologize for that. But it's it was just such a great way to open the show that I, I was I was very I was not even mad at it. I was just so happy. With that match, the way it opened up, just I was I was very, it was by the moment. Um, another good that I I really enjoyed um, was the Tony Storm Tony Storm winning the NXT UK Women's Championship. Um, I knew I had a feeling that Tony Storm was going to win the title back. I was going to become the uh, the new champion. It's a very big moment for her. I know Rhea Ripley, you know, being that first NXT UK Women's Champion was awesome. And then having Tony Chase was a smart move on their part. Tony Storm is going to be a big fucking deal in the NXT UK Women's Division. She stated it herself in the, in the video package. She could have gone to Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and dominated there. But she wanted to be the NXT UK Women's Champion. She's been a big deal in the UK for a long, long time. Even though she's from the Gold Coast in Australia, she has been a big deal for a long, long time over there. Of course, the former, the first ever Progress Women's Champion. Um, when she lost it to Jenny, uh, the, the crowd pretty much went pissed off. Uh, it, it was just so good. And, and the match itself was pretty darn good in and of itself. I know 
there it was it was there was a point where there was a little bit of silence from the crowd. It did drag a tad bit, but I did like the fact that you know both ladies really brought it, and to have those two, in a sense, become like I, I guess in a sense become the cornerstones of the women's division. Um, this def- does definitely help them as a whole, and I love the fact that. You know, they went back and forth so many times with their finishing moves with Tony Storm going up for Storm Zero. At least I think she went like three times. Rhea Ripley went for Riptide, I think, three or four times in that match. And them kicking out of it, it was crazy. Especially when the moment when she hit Storm Zero towards the end of the match. And she thought that was the end of it. And Rhea kicked out it too. Everybody was shocked at that moment. They they literally were dueling from end, from beginning to end. This was really a good match. For everyone and for all parties, Rhea Ripley, I think, and Rhea Ripley, in the end, even though in defeat, she really did look good in defeat. I'm very proud of her for being the first ever NXT UK Women's Champion. This ain't the end for Ripley. I know she's going to be gunning for uh, Storm in a rematch, and I'm sure that final match between those two is going to be absolutely insane and more than likely be a solid main event for an episode of NXT UK. Now... What was really, really good was the main event. And I know I'm skipping over Mastiff and Dennis. Um, I'll explain. I'll, I'll get to that at some point. But the Pete Dunne, Joe Coffey main event match. It was, I don't, I don't I'm, I'm just trying to formulate this correctly because I don't want to say it wrong. Up to this point, Pete Dunne has been on a 600-day run with the NXT, with the WWE United Kingdom Championship. And I personally said, and I thought in my uh, Blackpool TakeOver TakeOver Blackpool predictions, that it was time for the Iron King to to take his throne. I thought, you know, it was time for Pete Dunne to lose to Joe Coffey. Gallus starts making their reign, them starting the beginnings of getting some gold, truly making it their kingdom. But the and but in the end they had Pete Dunne get the victory over Joe Coffey in what I thought was a really dope match. Their match was fucking awesome. I think this match went somewhere around thirty minutes. To be truthfully honest, this was this went quite long. Um, I'm not. I mean, if if I wanted to say there was a bad, it maybe went a bit too long. But then when you look back at the moments that they had. Uh, when Coffee was on the top rope and done, and uh, he was trying to do some uh, a big move on uh, Dunn, Coffee just fell to the outside and just fell 15 feet from the top uh, turnbuckle to the ground. And it looked, and uh, even Nigel McGinnis stated it looked like he caught the barricade on the way down when he landed. And I thought that was that was a crazy moment. And then when they went up again, both men went down to the ground, same spot. I'm like, what the fuck is that? It was a crazy moment. Both men, uh, Joe Coffey hitting the bitter end on uh, Pete Dunne. That was insane. Fucking uh, them at one point just uh, in the match, just straight uh, head each other. Fuck throwing hands. We're just going to throw our heads into each other like goddamn uh, Rams and let's see what fucking happens. That was crazy. Um, the uh, I think there was a couple of moves that uh, landed on the apron. That was fucking nuts. I'm, trying to, I'm just trying to look over the match. You know, as a, uh, a whole, um, coffee going for all the best, the bells, 
I think he went hit that about two, three times. That was fucking insane. Um, just, just such a good match overall. It may have went a bit long, but I think for the spots that they had, it was, it was perfect. Um, the moment where, uh, coffee pretty much. And, and I like the fact that they told the story of coffee, you know, destroying his lower Dunn's lower back for a majority of the match. So much so that they, uh, coffee at one point had him in the Boston crab so deep that, uh, it looked, and uh, I think coffee stomped on Dunn and Dunn looked like he passed out and coffee still held the hole. And then somehow Dunn came to and reached for the ropes at the last second. That was a cool moment. I really did enjoy that. It was just such a fun match to watch that there's so many really, really good moments where, I mean, every, the whole entire card has replay value. The entire card has replay value. And I love that. Um, and so much good came out of this. Now, going to the uh, Dennis uh, Mastiff match real quick. Before we get into the bad. And, I'm, and, and don't be surprised. There's not much bad coming out of this. It really isn't. But there is a little tiny bit of bad. Um, what I did enjoy. I mean, Mastiff and Dennis really went to war. Crazy, crazy match. Once the once the uh, weapons came out, that's when it really really went to another level. Um, I love the the what was it the mastiff? I think he uh, hit nice. I think he did like a it was somewhat of a modified Death Valley driver type deal onto the onto the actual floor. They took they ripped the mat off, and then mastiff hit that move on Dennis. That was pretty fucking dope. The cannonball, of course. Threw the table on Dennis. That was insane. The crowd really popped for that big time. Uh, the next stop driver uh, and kick out by Mastiff. That had the crowd popping. Dennis was pleading for the three count. That was crazy. Um, that was it, it was a really interesting match. Um, the only bad I would say about this, I wish it went a tad bit longer. I think this was the shortest match of the night, to be truthfully honest. And I was hoping it would go a little bit longer. I, I mean, I'm one for... I'm all for no disqualifications, and I'll start off the bad with this. I, this was the one match that I think went a, if it went a little bit longer, had a little bit more moments, this would have been a, a much better match than it would have. I mean, I'm not saying the match was bad at all. I enjoyed the match. I just wish, and I always wish this for like NXT and NXT UK. I just wish matches, that match went a little bit longer. Just a tad bit longer, and it goes back to um, War Games. Where I stated uh, in my War Games review that I, I would have given the show an A plus if that match, if that first fall just went a tad bit longer, just a tad bit longer, because the, I think it would have created more of a moment and it would have, it, uh, yeah, elongating the first fall would have been dope. But you could have still done the same thing with with uh, you know Shafir and Duke coming out attacking them. Just if that just went on a tad bit longer, that would have been a solid A plus show across the board. Now there is a like I said, there's a little bit of bad, but not too much. And the the ending of Dunn versus Coffee was a little bit interesting. I'm gonna go over what the chair shot said of the last two paragraphs. 
Uh, coffee, coffee stomped and hammers done over and over, stops at four. Dunn looks out cold again, but Coffee drags him up. Coffee pump handles, but Dunn counters with a DDT. Dunn pump handles to show Coffee how it's done. Hits the bitter end. Crawls over for recovery. Coffee rolls away. That was pretty dope. Veteran move. Coffee survives again, but fans are still cheering. Dunn goes over to Coffee at the ropes, but his back gives out. Coffee hits all the best through the ropes. Dunn is dazed again, but Coffee drags him up by his hair. Coffee then bumps Dunn off the buckles. Climbs up top. Coffee tells Dunn, this is my kingdom. Dunn shows Coffee down to the floor. Referee checked on Coffee. Dunn goes to fetch Coffee, brings him up for a forearm. Coffee hits another all the best. Uh, puts Dunn in. Um, pump handles, steals the bitter end into a power slam. That got to a uh, two count. There's still life in Dunn. Uh, Coffee vows the, to the, to end this as he climbs up. Dunn to, to join him. Dunn jumps with Coffee to the outside. As I stated, talked about before, they hit the barriers on the way down. Fans lose their fucking minds. Dunn makes it to the ring. Coffee pursues. Um, Dunn then rocks Coffee. Pump handles for his bitter end. Covers, doesn't get to, uh, get to two count. Uh, then Dunn grabs Coffee into a triangle, snaps the fingers. And basically, basically the same thing that he did to uh, Danny Birch and Noam Dar to end the match. That was what I thought was bad. That was a really, like, for what we got out of the match between Dunn and Coffee. It was a, it was a really weird ending. I'm thinking, like, maybe, like, all the best to the Bells, misses. If they did it smooth like that, all the best to the Bells, misses, straight into the bitter end, really clean, like, one, two, three, I would have been okay with that. But the ending itself, I was really, and I I did catch this from JD from NY206 on his Twitter. He said it was a bad ending. And I was like, damn it, I shouldn't have read that. But then I saw the match itself, and I saw the ending, and I'm like, ooh. That was a really weird ending. I mean, yeah, Dunn gets the victory. But the way they ended it was, I was like, huh. Yeah. Okay, I could see, yeah. Because that was, that was a, it was a weird way to just end it. Like, just the way they ended like that. Yeah, it gets done the victory, but I was just like, huh. Interesting. That's an interesting way to end it. I, I guess it works. It gets coffee out of the way. So th- that is that. Um, what I did want to say also bad. And it's not that, mis- that is much of a bad, but um, I would have really liked. I mean, yeah, Finn Balor was there facing Devlin. That was dope. Really cool match. I enjoyed it. Uh, I really wish they had Jordan Devlin versus Travis Banks. I really would have loved to see that. Um it's not as like it's a not bad, but it's it's still a bad to me personally because I love me some Travis Banks, and I would have really loved to see how Devlin and Banks would have really gone up, how would have they gone against each other at Takeover Blackpool. But I understood why they did it. Um, they must have had Balor already on deck, and then having uh, Jordan Devlin attack Banks earlier in the night before the show even began, and then um, just doing all that. So I get where they're coming from and the way they did it. I just really would have liked to see Devlin Banks. I'm sure the next set of tapings, they'll have Banks versus Devlin uh, just to, you know, make sure that to, you know, pretty much tie up that loose end and take care of it. But I would have loved, loved, loved to see Travis Banks versus Jordan Devlin. And this is actually running shorter than I thought it would be. But to uh, round out the ugly with the ugly, 
And this is not really like and when I did my Wrestle Kingdom 13 version of Good, Bad, and the Ugly, the main one I, I focused on was the very, very short matches that Cody and Juice Robinson had and Kushida and Taiji Ishimori. Those matches were shit. I'm not even going to lie. I ain't going to sugarcoat it. That match was complete straight garbage. I hated every bit of it. And that was, and they, actually, if I'm not mistaken, they were back to back completely. The only ugly I have coming out of this. And this is actually, people are going to think this is weird. The ugly of NXT UK take over Blackpool. And everybody's thinking like, yo, there's an ugly. There was really ugly. It's not a bad ugly. It's just going to be a very, very ugly. Pete Dunne's chest when Volter decides to start chopping the fuck out of it. That is going, I know Marley, it's going to be ugly. Yeah, my dog was just yawning, don't mind her. It's going to be his chest is going to look all types of ugly when Volter and Dunn meet for the NXT UK champion, uh, United Kingdom Championship. That is the ugly of of this uh, of Takeover Blackpool because if you've ever if you've seen a Vol- one Volter match, you know one thing is for certain: he is going to literally chop the ever living shit out of your chest to the point where it may bleed. If you saw, uh, there's a picture on I've seen uh, PCO and Volter. I believe they had they had a match last year. PCO's chest was literally dark maroon red with the amount of chops that Volter laid in on him. I know that, and I was talking with my uh, my one boy, um, Mad Titan, and. Uh, at uh, Brian underscore Fury under uh, seven five seven on Twitter. If you want to follow him real quick, show him some love. We were talking about this. We were talking about Vol- uh, Volter and Pete Dunn, and we were talking about you know Volter's going to be just slapping the shit out of Dunn's chest. He's going to destroy his chest. I just basically told him, I'm sure you know in the Indies he can get away with a lot of shit because he's going. He literally chops your chest and he literally destroys your chest to the point where it is bleeding. I've seen it happen. Uh, him against Wolfgang, I've seen that. Uh, there's a match with Will Ospreay I haven't, for, uh, in Defiant Wrestling. I haven't seen that match yet, but I will go back and see that because I want to see how bad he destroyed Will Ospreay's chest. The man is a chop machine. He will literally, and I think I was checking out um, the Who Got Next podcast, their Twitter, and a lot of people were, didn't know who Volter was. And I stated, if you don't know who Volter is, you're going to learn very, very soon who he is. Because when Volter makes his debut, a true in-ring debut, we are going to see what Volter can do. You are going to see what Volter can do. The boy's a beast. I am, and, and like I said, this is not a, like the ugly is going to. Like I said, the ugly is is Pete Dunne's chest. But there is a, but the good, but I did stay. I did talk about this in the podcast. Volter coming to NXT UK made the most sense. Because then it keeps him in Europe. It keeps him. It allows him to work for OTT and WXW, which is basically like he was at where he was a head trainer, um, one of the big like names in WXW in Germany, and keeping him in Europe keeps him in the indie scene with that, which is fan fucking tastic for everybody. I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. The one if there was one match I would want you to see of Valters. I would say it's the match versus Wolfgang. If there's another, I would say it's him versus Wolfgang. 
I believe it was Chapter 63 in progress for the Atlas Championship. They had a really, really good match, and they went all out. If you want to go, if you want me to pick another one, any match that he had with Matt Riddle over the Atlas Championship. Because those two boys went to absolute fucking war on each other. This, I think, helped cement Matt Riddle as a major name in the indies. And help, and that feud was so fucking fantastic. Um, leading to, overall, Walter beat, winning the feud uh, and ending Riddle's championship reign. That was just a fun little feud that they had. Walter's going to be a big fucking deal. And I did not, and the reason I picked Joe Coffey over Pete Dunne to win the championship was because I did I did not remember in my mind that he was coming to uh, NXT UK, and I, like I said, I completely forgot, didn't even cross my mind one bit, and now he's here, and gotta start thinking, he may be the one to end the long title reign of Pete Dunne, if not Joe Coffey, if it wasn't going to be Joe Coffey, it has to be Valter. It really has to be Valter. I don't know when the next NXT UK TakeOver is going to be. It could be over WrestleMania weekend. Probably not because that's a big fucking deal. They're not going to have one in New York. That'd be crazy. But whenever they have NXT UK TakeOver, wherever in the UK, you know Valter versus Pete Dunne is going to be your WWE United Kingdom Championship match. And Pete Dunne, I, Pete Dunne just better get his chest ready. I hope he has all the petroleum jelly in the world just to rub across his chest, just to try to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Try to uh, ease the amount of chop power that Volta is going to have on his chest. It is going to be nasty. You're, you're probably laughing. This is this is and this is a probably uh, this is a really funny matter. You're probably laughing at this, but it, 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 it's going to be serious. It's, I'm sure. Triple H would probably with Walter. No, hey man, you know, I know your chops are vicious. It's ugly. Lower the amount of it, but make it look legit. I mean, I know a chop. I mean, my mom's chopped me once before. Okay. I've to- I told her to chop me. Chop my chest. And she, and I'm not going to lie, she lays a good chop. I'm not going to front. She can lay a good chop on you if she remembers how to do it. But a chop, a proper chop across the chest, when done correctly, repeatedly over and over and over, especially if it hits the same spot, is going to hurt over time. So, <laughs> as as weird and as random as that does sound, that is my ugly from NXT TakeOver Blackpool. And just like I did with Wrestle Kingdom 13, I'm going to give my grade, my match of the night, and my worst match of the night. So, overall, as a grade, in my honest opinion... NXT TakeOver, NXT UK TakeOver Blackpool did beat Wrestle Kingdom 13, hands down. I'm not even going to confront, I'm not even going to, don't at me, I dare you to at me. Uh, when I talk about my clothes at the end of the show, you can at me, we'll talk about it, we'll discuss it. Um, I actually gave this grade a B plus, A solid B plus across the board. Uh, it was a great show, just that ending with Dunn and Coffee, uh, Mastiff and Dennis not going as long as I would have expected it to, um, Banks not being on the show, I get why they were doing it have that Devlin be in that dastardly heel. I would have loved to see Banks versus Devlin, but Balor did raise it up. Uh, but I do give that show a solid B+. This was a really, really good show. A great first impression for NXT UK. I really, really loved this show. It was fantastic. My match of the night. A lot of, and I did a little poll, and I only got a couple of y'all votes. I need to get on them on them damn things. That's why y'all follow me on Twitter. So you can, so you can get in on my polls, man. It's going it's to be serious. I was I asked what was going to be match of the night. Whether it was me, Ripley Storm, Dunn Coffee, or other, because I couldn't get all of the matches on onto the poll. 
And and y'all said Ripley Storm was going to be match of the night. I tend to disagree with y'all. I am giving the tag team championship match between Mustache Mountain and Grizzly Young Veterans, my match of the night award. I loved that match. It was just a proper way to start the card. The match itself was absolutely amazing. So many good spots. Has replay value for fucking days. Grizzly Young Veterans becoming the first ever NXT UK Tag Team Champions made the most sense in the world. And plus, it just gives Zach Gibson more shit to give him because those chants are fucking awesome. And just allows a babyface tag team to start the chase towards the Grizzly Young Veterans to get the championship. My worst match of the card, unfortunately, and, and, this, and this is not a knock, I'm just saying Dennis Mastiff was the worst match on the card. Uh, given length of the match, I would have just loved if they got a little bit more time in. It's, I know it's a broken record for me saying this 8 million times, but it's, it's got to be stated. A little bit more time would have definitely helped the match. I understand, you know, Ripley Storm, Coffee Dunn, um, the Balor John, that was crazy. And then uh, the Tag Team Championship match definitely overshadowed uh, Mastiff versus Dennis. And I think them... Not getting as much time as I would have liked them to. Definitely kind of brought them down just a just a tad bit. The match itself was all right, but like I said, if they were given more time to do a couple more things, um, I would have loved. I, I it would have been hard for me to. It would have been hard to make a worse match of the night. But unfortunately, and it's, like I said, this is not a knock. It's just due to everything else that was going on. Worst match of the night is going to Dennis, uh, Eddie Dennis and Dave Mastiff just for sheer lack of time. That's it. Um, but that is my review of NXT UK Takeover Blackpool. Overall, like I said, you there's no you don't get a second chance to make a very good first impression. And to the rest of the world, we got a very solid first impression from the NXT UK brand. I can't wait till this Wednesday to actually see what the aftermath is going to be for NXT UK. I'm very excited to see what they're going to do with this, with the fallout from NXT UK. And now we now kind of have an idea. Volter versus Pete Dunne for the next NXT UK TakeOver, or they may have it beforehand. Who knows? Volter still has to make his in-ring debut. How are they going to tell the story between that? Um, Mustache Mountain not winning the championships. How are we going to go from there? But like I said, NXT UK TakeOver Blackpool, very solid show. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Well, guys, that's going to be it for episode 42 of the Young Bulls Perspective. I want to thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day, your night, your afternoon, your evening, wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world. Thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of the podcast. I really, truly appreciate it, as always. If you enjoyed this episode and any of the other 41 episodes of the podcast, do not hesitate to tell a friend. To tell a friend about the podcast. Share it on your social media, your Instagrams, your Facebooks, your Twitters. Get the word out there. The Young Lions Perspective is the true alternative for professional wrestling podcast, and that we are here to stay if you did not listen to this episode of the anchor app or if you don't have the anchor app and honestly why don't you this is the one and only up and coming app for podcasting in the game today you can also check me out on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, breaker Castbox, overcast pocket cast radio public stitcher radio and of course that good old spotify fam just search for the young lines perspective maybe you should have no problem finding it whatsoever on any one of those platforms 
if you want to stay up to date on anything I'm going to be doing with the podcast as a whole, you can follow me on Twitter at SwedeSenatorWWI and on Instagram at Young underscore Lions underscore Perspective. Follow me on both of those platforms to keep up to date with what's going on with the podcast. In terms of NXT and NXT UK reviews, I will be doing them, of course, this coming weekend. We're going to get back to that. Wednesday night, I'll be watching both NXT and NXT UK. I'll be enjoying the hell out of that, and you'll be getting your reviews. More than likely, Saturday NXT review, Sunday before the NFC and AFC Championships, you will be getting your NXT UK reviews. I'm very excited to be talking about that. Who knows? I made a little sprinkle, a little something, a little sneaky episode during the week. Who knows? Guys, enjoy the rest of your evening. As always, until uh, Raw actually gets better in terms of quality, I will not be doing any live tuning whatsoever. I will be enjoying my Monday night playing WWE 2K19, doing the, the proper way in my universe mode. Guys, enjoy the rest of your night. And until next time, see you.